please be seated. Good afternoon. For the last two Sundays, we have been looking uh, at an angry and indignant Jesus. And I want to say that very often, anger leads to sin. I think we know that. And even a foothold for the devil because that anger just grows and grows in you. But Jesus was a righteous anger. The kind of anger that when you are angry, but you do not sin. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 tells us, Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give a place to the devil. In another translation, do not give a foothold to the devil by being angry. But Jesus was a righteous anger, the kind of anger that does not sin. The last two sermons, uh, Pastor Chiming talked about, um, were, were, were about corruption. Pastor Chiming talked about the corruption or the corrupted interpretation of, uh, of Scripture, where, no, it wasn't Chiming, it was Kapo. It was Kapo, where that kind of corrupted interpretation of Scripture binds a man to legalism and, and therefore misery that, that you cannot even heal on, on a Sabbath, uh, where I believe in those days it was basically a power game. And even in the corrupted era of the Christian church after Jesus, there is often a power game to keep people in line, make sure that they color within the lines that you don't step out so that I can control you. And they use scripture to control people. And then last Sunday, Pastor Chiming talked about corruption in the temple, where the people do not distinguish between the holy and the profane, where they defile the holy by dishonest exploitation of uh, exchange rates in the, in the temple and the buying and selling of animals in the temple. So much so that Jesus, as you saw in that video, took a whip and he chased the people out of his father's house because it ought to be a house of prayer, not for dishonest exploitation. Today, in the third and last of our series in this, we look at the corruption, the corrupted view of children. And it's a great day because, to talk about this because we are celebrating Children's Day. And there are two instances recorded for us across the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, about this. There were no miracles associated with, with children uh, per se, but, but that sense of anger and indignation in Jesus' heart. First of all, let's turn to Mark chapter 10 from verse 13, and we read, People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little ones, little children, come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. What is the context behind this teaching? Let me speculate a little because in the verses before, uh, verse 13, the disciples were arguing with Jesus about some very weighty doctrinal matters. Doctrinal matters concerning marriage, divorce, and remarriage. 
And I think the disciples got, didn't like to hear what Jesus had to say. His very strong views about marriage and his very, very negative views about divorce. So much so that the disciples say, perhaps out of a sense of frustration, in Singlish, they will say like that, lah, better don't get married. Lah. That's basically what they said. If it is like that, then it's better for a man not to marry. And in the midst, perhaps, there were some noisy children as they were discussing this so-called weighty adult matters. And the disciples maybe dare not rebuke the parents, so they took it out on the children and they rebuked the children. Maybe it happened like that. And maybe Jesus saw the expression on the children's faces. The expressions that changed from innocence and joy and just making noise like children do to, to fear and to rejection, to perhaps bewilderment. Say, what have I done? The child might have said, what have I done? What have I done? And that your disciples would rebuke us like that. It reminds me of uh, a capping session uh, when we go out to Teban Gardens to knock on doors and to, to invite them and to, to, to certain activities and all that. This was several years ago. I went out with Auntie Eng Siang. You all know Auntie Eng Siang? Okay, you should know. <laughs> Anyway, uh, she was so good because she had finished her, her allotted uh, units and then seeing that uh, we needed help, she joined me. So we went out to this, this block, uh, to this unit, and knocked on the door, and a grandma and a grandson came out. And the grandma was saying that, you see, la, you, your father don't even love you, your father don't come home, and you are no good in studies, and started to, to rubbish the child. And you can just see the child's face. It's just like full of disappointment and rejection. But Eng Xiang came and said, Hey, but you know, this boy, is, he's doing so well in, in, our, in our study club in, uh, in, in the center. And he's really behaving very well in the center. And you can see the child's face totally change to such a sense of acceptance and, and love and joy. Maybe that was what happened when Jesus said these words in Mark. Chapter 10. But in verse 15, what did he say? If you will not receive the kingdom of God, if you do not come to me like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't say you stand the risk of not entering. Or maybe, there's no maybe, it's you will never enter. These were very, very strong words and these were recorded for us by, by the three synoptic gospel writers. Matthew 19, Mark 10, Luke 11. Sorry, Luke 18. So that was the first instance of Jesus talking about children. There is another instance recorded about Jesus and children, and this can be found in Matthew 18, in Mark 9, and Luke 9. So let me choose the, the account in Matthew 18, verse 1. It says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Again, what was the context? The disciples were arguing about who was the greatest among them. In Mark chapter 9, it says, arguing about it on the road. As they were walking, they were just arguing and arguing. Luke 9 says that an, an argument started. Any of you mix around with Israelis or Jewish people much? You know how they talk? They are like very forthright people. Okay, I have had the the experience of working with uh, Israeli military advisors some 20 years ago, even in their normal conversation, it's like, why are you quarreling? 
So when they really argue that serious matter, okay, they almost like want to punch one another. And this was what happened there. And you can sort of just imagine Andrew comes up and say, hey, surely whoever is greatest in the kingdom is about seniority. I was the first one that Jesus called into ministry. And then Peter, uh, uh, Philip will say, no, 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 no. It's about outreach. It's about the Great Commission. It's about bringing other people to Jesus. I recruited Nathaniel. And then Andrew says, no, don't, don't you remember? I brought my brother Simon, uh, Simon Peter too. And, and Peter will come and say, hey, you guys, it's about leadership. Okay? Whenever Jesus is not around, who's the leader? Me. I'm too icy. And everybody knows that I'm a natural leader. And Judas will, uh, uh, Matthew, Matthew will come and say, hey, I'm the big giver, you know. Your ministry will not run without money. Okay, even though my money is not all that clean as uh, from tax collection, but I provide the ministry funds. And Judas will come and say, hey, somebody got to keep the account straight. And straight is how I define straight to be. And John will say, you guys, stop talking about power and money. It's about love. It's about love. And I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. And Thomas will say, I doubt you guys understand anything about being great in the kingdom. You don't even recognize my final qualities, how I am able to say my Lord and my God is all about worship. Guys, get it? It's all about worship. And Simon, Simon the Zealot will say, no, 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 no. It's about zeal. After all, my, my name is the Zealot. It's about zeal. And then they were dumb enough to come to Jesus to ask Jesus to adjudicate. So how would Jesus settle this? Would he have a packing order of disciples? This is how he settled this. Matthew 18, verse 2. He called a little child and had him stand among the disciples. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. That was Jesus' answer. And it brought me back to, to uh, a church camp. Was it last year only? Uh, one of the church, not last year. Three years ago, we had a church camp in Batam. And one of the afternoons, we went out to bless the community, uh, to play with the children, have some food, and I, I think give out some uh, groceries or something. I can't remember now. And then when the children came back, they did this. They, instead of like shaking your hands and say thank you, they held the hands of us, the benefactor, right? Benefactor. And they touched our hands to their forehead in a symbol of, of humility and, and to honor us. And I thought it was such a, such a sweet thing. And Jesus said, when I, when I see this picture, I can imagine Jesus said, if you cannot humble yourself like a, this little child to bring a hand up and to touch a forehead in a sign of humility and honor, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven, much less be the greatest in the kingdom. You guys who are just arguing about this. I thought it was just beautiful. And continuing from verse 6, Jesus says, but if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world 
because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must happen, but woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. And see that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angel in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. And I believe that is the, be- the beginnings of this doctrine of uh, guardian angels. Okay, that is only this one verse. Uh, may be true, may not be true, not very sure. Okay, continuing verse 12. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 in the hills and go to look for the one that has wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Within that, is perhaps the fiercest rebuke Jesus ever made in his about a thousand days of ministry on earth. Uh, about something like this. And, and in case you think that Jesus was sort of like a mafia chief, um, you, you have to understand that the the literary style that we just read is, is one of hyperbole, right? You purposely stretch the, the thing because it's not saying that once you abuse a child, therefore you should drown or, or you go and drown someone. It's, about, it's actually even worse than that. It's that the punishment should be worse than being drowned with a large millstone tied around your neck. And can you blame him? Can you blame Jesus for saying that? You know that Jesus is God. He is omniscient, meaning He knows everything, right? He knows everything from beginning to end. He knew in the year AD 30 or 33 what would happen in the year 2013. And He, I believe, would have foreseen how children would be abused these days, right? There is this overt sin of commission in child abuse. For example, in child prostitution, something really, really horrible, or uh, a child slaves or child laborers, or child soldiers, and you get a lot of that uh, uh, even in um, Indochina, especially in Af- Africa, and children who are infected with, with AIDS. The overt sin of commission of child abuse. And someone once said that the ultimate test of civilization is in what it does to his children. I think there's a lot of truth in that. That a nation's civility, how civilized we are, is tested by what it does to its own children. And when you see this happen, you cannot call yourself a civilized society. There is this book that I I highly recommend, I recommend to you called uh, Too Small to Ignore, uh, written by this guy called Wes Stafford. Wes Stafford, was an MK, uh, a missionary kid. His parents were missionaries in Africa. And in this book, he tells about 
the abuse that he suffered in a Christian boarding school that looked after MKs. So the physical abuse, the sexual abuse is bad enough. But there was this element of mental abuse where his teachers told him, and I quote from him, if you tell your parents you are unhappy here, you will be Satan's tool to destroy their ministry in Africa. They will become discouraged and they will leave the ministry. If that happens, there will be Africans in hell because of you. Can you imagine that happening in a Christian boarding school? But that was what happened to him. And I was just thinking that surely this kind of thing, uh, and they were beaten and all, even sexually abused, the, 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 the guy would creep into the children's bedroom at night. Surely some adult would have some inkling of this happening. Then why did it continue? And, and I just sort of guessed that maybe the thing is, is, is kids only, right? It's, it's just kids. The missionaries are important. They are all important. They are doing God's work. But these are, these are just MKs. They are, they are kids. And, and perhaps that is that, not that overt sin of commission of child abuse, but that, that covert sin of omission that is just neglect. They are just not so important. And Wes Stafford talked about physical abuse. He talked about mental abuse. But he said one of the worst things for him, having lived through that, was that nobody believed him. People did not, the adults did not believe him. And in a conference before 2,400 counselors, he related this thing, this, this abuse of nobody believing him. And then I believe the 2,400 counselors sort of like stood up and they said, We believe you. He said, Finally, that hurt was, was released from him. But he said it was 35 years too late. What did Jesus say? Jesus said in Matthew 18.10, See that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father. Because they were just kids. They were just MKs. Missionaries important. Children, okay. They were just kids. Many of you know that I, I love to take photographs and I read some about it. And they teach you that you should never take a picture like this. You know, this is uh, Jaden, uh, the one on the left. It's like you look down on them. You know, this, you sh- when you take a picture of children, you don't do that, right? You stand up to your full height and you tilt your camera down and you look down on them and you take an ugly picture like this. What you should do is to go on your knees, go down to their eye level, look them eye to eye, and then you take a picture like this. And I think this is pretty good, don't you think? Because I took it. Uh, This is what you should do. Come to a child's level. Enter their world. And I think think there is a special place in God's heart for, for little children. Right? I believe it's all over the scripture. There's a special place in God's heart for the poor. You can, you can sense it when you read. Uh, of course, everybody's important, whatever their age. But there is that special sense that God especially is, is watching out for the poor, watching out for the weak and, and the children. And some say that there is a special place in hell for child abuses. Okay, that one you cannot find in scripture. But uh, maybe I think it's true, huh? especially if you see the, the overt sin of commission of the kind of child abuse in prostitution and, and laborers and slaves and all that. 
Now, very often as, as a pastor, I ask, how big is your church? And I tell them, almost 600. And, and you know that there is a tendency among pastors to inflate that figure. So, am I, am I inflating it when I say it's almost 600? Uh, because I add the children, that's why. I add the children. Huh? So, this service uh, is about 100, some 90, uh, 100, or just above. Uh, first service is about 250, sometimes 300. Uh, Chinese service is about 120 or so. And then children's about 90, okay, 60 to 90, depending on attendance. So, add it all together, I think it's about 560, just about 550. So, I say about six, just almost 600. And lots of people say that children are the church of tomorrow. Agree? Wrong. Children are the church of today. They are the church of today, right? They are among us. They are part of the church. They're not tomorrow, just waiting to grow up into a church, but they're the church of today. And there is this story uh, about Tony Campolo. Uh, how many of you have heard of Tony Campolo? He's a famous writer, pastor, sociologist. And at one time, he was a spiritual counselor to Bill Clinton in days when Clinton's sin was publicly exposed. Okay, so quite a good guy. Writes well, speaks well. And one day he was, as a sociologist, he was thinking, what kills a church? So that problem came before him, and he, he thought of a way to answer the question, what kills a church? And he decided to make his, his church, his boyhood church, uh, as an adult, now he's in a different church, his boyhood church a case study, because it died. His boyhood church died. And he asked around, and he managed to find the, the archives were still in a storeroom somewhere. So he went to the storeroom, uh, uh, got rid of the cobwebs, and pulled out the archives. And then he said, maybe I will take a look at the archives. And the archives had annual reports. Huh? In that church, they, they, they file and they write annual reports. Take out the annual report about the year that he became a Christian. And so he took out the, year, the, the annual report and he read. And the annual report said that it was not a very good year for the church. Uh, collections was down. Um, attendance was down. Uh, missions activity, the word used here is, was subdued. I don't know what that means. They don't send people out on mission trips or whatever. And then there was only like one sentence that said, there were only three conversions this year and they were just children. What? Just children? I was one of those children in that annual report. I was one of those converted three. And I know the other two. One of them spent his life in missionary service in Africa. The other one became the president of a seminary. Three, just three children. And he was flabbergasted. That's why the church died. That was his conclusion. A church begins to die when we look at children as just children. You know, I like to say that I'm not one of those easily hurt. I think I've got a, quite a thick skin. But, but it's true like, that as, as I grow older, <laughs> I get more and more easily hurt and I get more and more cranky. But one time, I was accused of not liking children. I say, man, not liking children. I love children. You know, when my grandson or granddaughter comes out, whenever that might be, is when I will retire from this church and I will go full-time to look after my own grandchildren. 
How can I not love children? Okay, get rid of this picture first. <laughs> Other children. You see, at that time, we were talking in, in the leadership about family worship. And I was very unhappy about what we call family worship. I do not know if you remember in those days. Family worship means uh, all of us, kind of like first service this, this morning, all the kids will be, will be here and, and then we'll worship together and that's family worship. And then uh, announcement time, they will go downstairs for their own activities. And I was thinking like, the kids cannot see. Many of them are seated behind. Uh, the, the, the stage is up front. They cannot sing because most, most of the songs uh, are not familiar to them. They cannot connect because the songs and, and even the, the, the worship leader, whatever he talks, is not at their level. And, and at that time, we sometimes just let them read a book and we give them paper, they do their drawing and as the adults are worshipping, they do the drawing or colouring and then we call it family worship. I say, who are we kidding? Right, we're kidding ourselves. We just love to have our children by ourselves. The worship is catered for us since they are around with us doing a colouring and all that. And, and that's family worship. And it's very good because the whole family comes together in worship. But it's, it's not that. Why don't we cater to the children? So like nowadays, once uh, the first Sunday of the month, we try to. Uh, we don't do very well yet, but we try to cater the children, encourage them to come to the front. We try and sing a children's song and all that and just welcome them. And sometimes it is just this benign neglect because they're just children. They're just children, right? We have like 250 adults here and maybe there are 30 children or 50 children. They're just children, you know? They're just children. And that's when the church begins to die. There are so many things that I can say here. You know, if, if, if as parents we... Tell the, the kids, hey, just, just skip church uh, Sunday because PSLD coming, you know. That number, uh, that 25 or whatever number it is, that number uh, is so important. Uh, just skip church. Uh. After all, it's only a couple of weeks. I, 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 or, or O levels, or, or maybe even university level. You know? Just skip church. Uh, it's exam time. Uh. I don't know what message we are giving. Perhaps the message we are giving is that. The worship of God can wait. Huh? There are more important things in life. Okay? There are higher priorities to the worship of God, corporate worship of God, once, once a, a week. I've even heard of cases where, where the parent bars the child from going to church until your grade improves. Okay, what message are we giving when we, when we do that? That this thing with God is a reward. It's a reward. It's not a relationship. Right? You better get your grades up, then I allow you to go to church as a reward. Or, or perhaps the, the parents had, had a late night out on Saturday, just enjoying time with friends and sipping choice wines, and, and therefore they slept late on a Sunday and, and say, oh yeah, I've got Sunday school today. Anyway, it's just kids. Huh? It's just Sunday school. It's no big loss. And, and then they don't come. Or we come late as a family, and uh, if I out there shake your hands, yalla, the children, how to get them up? You blame the children, right? You blame the children because maybe you can't get up. So what kind of example are we setting? Let me call it for what it is. Huh? When you know what is right to do and you do not know it, what is that? Sin. James. So it's not a bad example. 
is a sinful example. Okay. Okay. All the harsh words are over. I want to explain a little bit about baptism and communion here. Well, in PPH, um, who do we baptize? We baptize children. Okay, we baptize children. What age? Huh? We had some difficulty in, uh, in, in, in recent years just thinking about that huh? because uh, uh, in recent years, the youngest to be baptized is five-year-old, uh, Anna, Anna Tang, uh, whom we baptized, uh, I think, the last one. And among the diaconate, we were also discussing this. So at what age? Huh? At what age do they really understand and, and therefore we baptize? And I even sent out an email to uh, a group of pastors that I meet once a month, eight of us, and I sent out an email. I said, what is your policy? So different answers came back. There was one that came back that says, we only, because of all these difficulties, we only baptize when they are 12 years old and above. And we spare ourselves from all this consideration because, for example, if I baptize this five-year-old child and, and then comes along another child who is seven years old, but after we talk to the child, we feel like maybe the child really doesn't understand yet. Then how? Then the parent will say, you see, you can baptize this one five-year-old. How come my child, you're discriminating against me? So it's very troublesome. And, and you're thinking like maybe this church policy is very good. 12 years old. Anybody below 12 years old, don't even think about it. Okay? <laughs> no need to be baptized. Wait. But as we were discussing among our diaconate, we, we said that let's, let's come to this policy. All right? Um, the parent, of course, is, is very, very uh, uh, vital in this decision. If the parents think that the child understands and it's okay, that's good. Secondly, we just add another one, that the cool club teacher, the Sunday school teacher, must also say yes. If the parents say yes, and the Sunday school teacher or the children's pastor say yes, then I say we'll baptize, whatever your age. Okay, so that's our policy in this present diaconate. Okay, we're not rubbishing other churches for having different policies. But for us now, I think this makes sense. And so we'll have this. Maybe a future diaconate will say, wow, I don't want all this hassle anymore because now I've got 10 parents coming to me <laughs> and everybody says that I'm favoriting, uh, or have favoritism and all that. Uh, maybe we might change. But for now, this is the policy. Similar policy that we adopt for communion. Right? If, the, if the parent says it's okay for this five, six-year-old child to take the communion and the Sunday school teacher also says, yes, I think this person is, uh, understands what communion is about, they will say, okay. So that, 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 that's it. Okay, in the first service, I asked, I just wanted to get a feel of how many um, of us here came to the Lord that is, believe in Jesus and follow Jesus when we are children. Let's say, okay, now, let's say 18. Okay, we use 18. <laughs> Sorry, anybody below 18? Because for some reason, I used 18 at the first service. So how many received Christ when you were 18 and below? Uh, as predicted. Wow, here even better. Uh, I would say 80, even 90% here. In the first service, it was about 40%. In America, it's 66%. They say two-thirds. Two-thirds. So if I combine first and second service, it's about there. It's about two-thirds. Two-thirds of us came to Jesus when we were 18 years and below. So that's sort of very uh, telling already that, um, that, that children are just so important. We talk about the mighty men and the mighty women of God all the time. Um, but what about, what about mighty children of God? 
so many examples in the Bible. Okay, I start with a few. Uh, uh, Miriam, Miriam, the sister of uh, the elder sister of Moses. You know that Moses was uh, there was a law in the land that all babies need to be killed, and the mother put her put Moses in a little basket of reeds and floated him down the river. What would an adult think? Hey, it's the law of the land. Okay, you don't do that. Maybe your head get chopped off, right? So, so this mother was very smart. Did this thing, and 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 Moses. Moses would just sink and drown. That's what would happen. But Miriam didn't think that. Maybe she was like, la, 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 la. Hey, this, my brother, you know, my brother just continued running uh, along the riverside and then what happened was what happened. And she was smart enough and, and, and I believe the Lord used her and gave her the wisdom at that time. I don't know how old Miriam was. And to suggest that, hey, Pharaoh's daughter, I have this woman here who can be the wet nurse to look after this baby that you just picked up off the river. And, and how wonderful it is for, for the mother to be re- reunited with what she presumed was a dead child and to take care and to breastfeed that child, Moses, because of Miriam. And we have Samuel, the prophet Samuel. You can read about that in First and Second Samuel, who heard God's voice. And if your little child runs to you, Hey, you call me, you call me. What would we say? Siawa, go back to sleep. That's what we would do. Okay, Eli was uh, the priest at that time. So he, even though he was uh, uh, not a good priest, but he had sense enough to say, uh, listen, it is God's voice. And, and Samuel, in my mind, is one of the greatest prophets uh, recorded for us in the Old Testament. What about King David? Help me. Uh, next slide. Just a kid. Just a kid. Um, to the extent when Samuel came looking for a, a king to anoint, he wasn't even considered. He was just a kid out there in the wilderness uh, feeding, feeding sheep. And when he brought food to the brothers, he was insulted by his so-called adult brothers, right? You just come here for fun. Uh, look at us get, get taunted and maybe get slaughtered by, by Goliath. Uh, but what did David end up as? Ended up as king as poet, as man after God's own heart. Okay, the next video, uh, some of you may have seen it on face, Facebook, but I thought it was just so great that uh, from a young child, not yet two years old, uh, to, to have the heart of David. Okay. Who will fight me? If I defeat you, you will be my slaves. If you defeat me, we will be your slaves. I can't be fine in the name of the Lord. <laughs> Do I look like a dog that you come at me with sticks and stones? Oh. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Don't you see Dickens' material there? <laughs> yeah, I thought that was just so great. And then we have uh, uh, a Naaman, Naaman's uh, slave girl in Second Kings chapter five. Uh, she was taken forcibly, uh, exiled to be a slave girl to this general, and this general had leprosy. What would the adult say? Serves you right. 
what did the slave girl saw? Saw a fellow human being and recommended him to Elijah and for healing. And then the last one from the New Testament, this boy with uh, five loaves and two fishes in John chapter 6. What would the adult do? <laughs> my lunch, okay? My lunch, I'll hide it. I'll hide it. And then 5,000 of you, I'll hide it. I'll go to some corner and I'll eat my lunch. Okay? I don't play, play with me. Okay? This is my lunch. What did this boy do? He offered it. And then it became a great miracle. So let me end with this. How do we humble ourselves as a child, as Jesus commanded? How do we do that? What does a child have that we don't? What does a child have that we have lost? So first, I believe the child has this sense of, of innocence, this sense of, of wonder, this sense of not being jaded or passing judgment on things yet. It's just take it as it comes. In Habakkuk 3, verse 2, it says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stare in awe. I stare in wonder of your deeds. Oh Lord, renew them in our day, in our time, make them known in wrath and remember mercy. It's just that, that, ah, that wow. Let me tell you this story about um, a 50-plus-year-old mother who brought her two toddlers to the playground. And she was Caucasian, she was white. One of her toddlers, a child was yellow, Asian, like Chinese, and the other child was black, uh, American. So a white mother with a black child and a yellow child. So at the playground while they were playing, she saw this child who borrowed her frowns in, in, in wondering about this situation. White mother, yellow and black kid. And she began to get stirred up. Wow, this small child already a racist. And she asked the child, so kid, what's the matter? Something bothering you? And the kid says, yeah, yeah. And the kid asked the mother, are your kids adopted? Oh, that really got her. It's like about to explode. Yes, you got a problem with that? And the child says, yeah. Now the child smiles. It's a problem or solved. You look too old to have given birth to them. What were you thinking? A racist child? No, the child was just wonder. Wonder how come the mother so old and the child so young? The child was colorblind, didn't see this racist thoughts that we have. And, and that's the that innocence of a child, the, the, the sense of wonder. Ravi Zacharias, you know, I, I love this, this author and a, a, a preacher. He says that most Christians need to learn to retain their childlikeness, and to shed their childishness. For a child, a new taste, a new experience is also enthralling. He says, everything is wow. Everything is delightful. The fairy stories mean a lot. The storybook, the hug, the embrace, all that goes along with childhood. But then, we get tired of the same old thing. We get tired, we get jaded. Um, let me quote to you also from G.K. Chesterton, uh, one of these very famous writers uh, from old times. 
It says a child kicks his leg rhythmically. So like, if you're like sitting in the front row and then you swing your leg uh, through excess, not absence of life. Because children have an abounding vitality because they are in spirit, fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he nearly dies from it. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again, do it again, to the sun. And every evening, do it again, do it again, to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that He makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but He never got tired of making them. It may be that He has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, but our Father is younger than we. Isn't that beautiful? That when a child watches that video, high five for, for the 10,000th time, they still find it wonderful. But we find it so jaded. How can you watch the same thing again and again? How can you sing the same chorus again and again? <laughs> we had one chorus just now that we sung again and again. Did you get jaded? Did you get tired? And I, like I said to the first service, sometimes I do, but I fight this urge because I, just, I say to myself, eh, submit. submit to the worship leader. He has a reason for doing that. Right? God has guided him. We all pray in our pre-service prayer for our worship leaders. He has a reason for doing that. Do it again! Do it again! Do it again! So, how to recover the sense of, of wonder and innocence? Right? This is, the, the, to me, one of the most difficult tasks of being a preacher is the YBH problem. Yes, I understand. Yeah, sense of wonder, very good. But how? How? Ah, let me wrote. Uh, quote Ravi Zacharias again. He says, There is wonder all around us, and it is God's will to fill us with that wonder that makes life enchanting and sacred. We cannot help but sing when that happens. Maybe that is why of all the religions in the world, there is none with the wealth of music that the Christian faith offers. And I believe that is true. You can look at any religion. Which among the religions have the wealth of songs and chorus that can be sung repeatedly? (laughs) It's that. But we adults, we tend to have that negativity in life, that sense of of jadedness. I've been there. I've done that. What's new? Okay, give me something new. But we don't have that childlikeness of of reading a book or watching a, a, a video uh, uh, for the 10,000th time and still wonderful, uh, still enchanted by it. I have heard of, of your fame. I stare in, stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. That sense of wonder versus that sense of jadedness. And secondly, the ability to, to trust. It's been many, many years now. I, I always remember in the swimming pool and I'm in a pool and my son is up there, jump, jump, I'll catch you. You know, that, 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 what you do. And it's so wonderful. The, 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 the son just doesn't just jump into the pool. And, and sometimes we do that with tabletops. Right? Jump, 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 I catch you. It's just so wonderful. Why is it that the child has that ability to trust in his earthly father? And we adults have, doesn't have that ability to trust in our heavenly father. 
and that the child might be totally dependent on the father for everything, right? For food, for clothing, for, for pocket money, for everything. And sometimes very proud of it. Hey, my dad will provide. Don't worry about it. No problem. My dad is able to do that. But we do not say the same thing about our Heavenly Father. In fact, we have quite the opposite. We cannot trust. We have this fear in our hearts. If I, if I trust and, and do what God says, then, then, then what will happen to me? You know, when Jesus says, forgive, forgive as I have forgiven you, say, hey, wait a minute, this guy has done this thing to me, how can I forgive? If I forgive him, then, then it's like blank check, you know, what's he going to do next? And we, we cannot trust, we cannot trust in Jesus' words. When, uh, when Jesus said, why not rather be wrong? Why not rather be wrong? Wow, that's even worse. How can I? How can I? I a wrong needs to be put right. I have my rights. Therefore, I keep fighting for it. How can you tell me, right, why not rather be wrong? And we cannot trust the words of Scripture that says, why not rather be wrong? And the words of Scripture say, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. There's no way. That's not a child's faith, right? A childlike faith trusts in the Lord. But as adults, we are so jaded that, um, that we can't do that. And thirdly, it's quick to replay. Okay, I'm not talking about machines where you press stop and then you press re replay, right? I'm talking about when children, you see children, they play together in the playground, then they get into a fight. Not fair, la, these are not fair. La. And then, then you have to separate them and then you console them, they're crying. And then you turn away. And when you turn back, they're playing again. That's what I mean by replay. Okay? <laughs> they play and then they, they get into a quarrel and then they can replay again. How come they can do that? And why can't we do that? Oh, we do that. We do replay a lot. We replay in our mind. Wow, this guy did this to me la, 10 years ago. Uh, and now I'm very hurt by it. And we replay. And after a while, we put it up again and we re -re replay it. And that's what we are. We harbor that unforgiveness until bitterness comes out. And then we refuse to play. Not replay. We refuse to. I'm not playing with you anymore. Okay? I'm like, I see you. I'm going to walk away. Uh, this way. That, that, that is that adultness that has come out, unfortunately. And we take offense. We take offense all too easily. And this will be the subject of our next series of sermons, The Bait of Satan, starting from next week. And that's how Satan sows something that will kill, still destroy relationships uh, inside the church as well as outside. Hebrews 12, 15 says, and see that no one misses the grace of God. I think a child sees the grace of God that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Yeah, so this is what I, I conclude with. You know, we, we need to change, first of all, two things. Our attitude towards children, that they are not just kids. Uh, if we do that, I think it's the death of this church. Um, yeah, I also share this story about, about when we look at kids, uh, I do it very often because I like to take photographs, right? So if I go on a mission trip, all these dirty-looking kids around, and somehow you are attracted to the beautiful ones, right? Those with big eyes and smiley faces, the clean ones, and you, ta -ta 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 -ta, you take a lot of the pictures. But there's this ugly kid in this corner that uh, just, uh, <laughs> whatever is running down the nose that you, you sort of, you would not take his pictures. Ah, but spare a thought there. You know, when we 
have an attitude towards children, let's change that attitude. And, and let me share with you a, another deep hurt that I had that, that has since been <laughs> dealt with. Huh? It's like when I was a kid, non-believer, both my parents were non-believers, and I remember my first Christmas party. Okay? It was in the Bukit Timah campus of what was then called the Singapore University. My father was working there as a, as a, as a plumber, okay? practically like a laborer. Uh, as a plumber there, and then they had all these high executives, they invite all the children, all very nicely dressed, and me went there, scrawny little kid. And they had all these quizzes, you know, that a group of us, I think it's probably maybe like so 30 people, 40 kids you know, sitting on the floor, they have all these questions, and then when you can answer the question, you get a prize. And I stretch my hand, nobody called me up because I was this scrawny kid, I don't have the stuff running down my nose, uh, but it never called me. And I say, hey, I'm not as dumb as I look. I'm not as dumb as I look. I know all these answers. I thought I'm pretty smart, you know. But they never called me. They, they, you know, it's like the manager will call the manager's kids and, and, and all these guys sitting in front, they get to answer all the questions and get all the goodies. And by the way, yesterday we had a kids', uh, kids amazing race and everybody got lots of goodies and, and that's the way to go, okay? Uh, even the guy with the... <laughs> that's the way to go. I felt so, so rejected. It's like, I'm so smart, you know? I, know, I know all the answers to all your questions, but you never called me and I never got the goodies. And then we sang this song, and man shall live forevermore because of Christmas Day. So what song is this? Who among us live forever? Because and I never understood that song. No? Seriously, at that time, I never under, understood the song until I became a Christian. Ah, because of Jesus, eternal life, and John 3.16 and all that. But as a kid, Nobody explained it to me. And you don't give me gifts. You don't uh, call me to answer questions. And so negative experience that I have since. <sighs> so change your attitudes toward children. When you go on mission trips, uh, when you go to Teban Gardens, go to the one. <laughs> okay. And wipe it off. Huh? Wipe it off. Yesterday, I saw a beautiful scene. Huh? Michael Po. Michael Po from our Renovate kid. Huh? And I saw Fumiha Hakim. She was the only child that Fumi ha ha. Okay, whatever her reasons are, but it was just a beautiful scene. Okay, change our attitudes to our children. Next child that God brings across your path, however he looks, ugly, beautiful, bless the child, touch the child. Okay? And then secondly, change our attitude, not towards children, but as children. And, and these three things. Okay? To, to humble ourselves, uh, regain that sense of wonder. When we sing, we sing. And... It will come. It will come. The ability to trust in our Heavenly Father and then uh, quick to forgive and quick to replay with uh, someone else. Huh? Quick to reconcile. Okay, so that's it. Um, why don't we, we pray now? Maybe a musician can just... Um, yeah, let's have lunch. Huh? Let's have a short one. <laughs> yeah, why don't we pray? I, I just want to... Ask for your response uh, for these three things. Today, you might want to pray like this. I want to recover that sense of childlike wonder. Uh, maybe the ability to do it again and do it again. That is, is perhaps gone. It's like life. I, I'm just so jaded with, with life. You know, when you walk out of here, you ought to be able to see some beautiful orchids in, even here in our church premises. Have you ever wondered how fantastic orchids and, and flowers are 
when you see the next child coming along and see, wow, that sense of innocence, just recover that, that wonder. When you read the scriptures and when Jesus took a little child and put him in the midst, put him in the midst of the disciples who were quarreling about who was the greatest, that, that sense of wonder, the, the word of God that comes alive. You want to pray for that? We ought to pray for that. Secondly, if you've lost the ability to trust, perhaps you're going through something now in life where you're striving like crazy. Um, I don't know, looking for a job, studying for exams or whatever. You're just doing this and doing that. But come back to the place where you can trust in your Father. Trust in your Heavenly Father have that peace in our heart that we do not need to strive like like a non-believer we have a good heavenly father we need to recover that I'd like you to come and pray as well and lastly I want to play with others if there needs to be reconciliation in the family among friends ex-friends rather then this is the time too to come we don't have the strength okay? in our nature we want to separate we do not want to play we want to be in our own world but God can give us beautiful reconciliation and who knows that your best friend is still out there whom you need to reconcile with and he or she will become your best friend so these three things we can pray for and I ask that you bring it before the Lord and the altar is open have someone pray with you I think that's the best thing to be able to share these deepest feelings and thoughts and to have someone pray with you and see what a wonder God can do in our lives close in prayer. We'll leave the altar open and quietly. You might want to come up and we'll stay around and uh, stand with you in prayer. The altar is open but let me just close in prayer. Lord, how wonderful it is to be a, a, a child again. To recover that sense of wonder, that innocence, ability to trust and the ability to to play to lose that judgmental attitude to lose that bitterness that might be in our heart just let it slide away God we come before you once again we ask Lord ask to recover that sense of innocence and wonder to place our faith totally in you, to trust in the Lord with all my heart and not to lean on my own understanding. And then to be reconciled to one another. Thank you, Lord, Lord for, for this word to us on a Children's Day celebration. 
we want to be childlike and we want to lose our childishness. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.